Episode 4, Tagrin. Tagrin knew that if he did manage to secure an audience with the court mage, he wouldn't have much time to ask him about much else aside from the matter at hand. But he was still excited. He had heard talk at the university during his time at Windheim about Skalmosk, the human wizard that declined many offers made by the institution to fund his research. The rumor was that the wizard was performing research on imbuing objects with the power of flight, but preferred to work privately. He was lauded for his prowess. The university approached him several times to use their extensive laboratories and assistance, but the wizard had an odd affinity towards the Gen family. The human is now serving the second monarch of Nulvagar since his stationing, and this archduke, Besk, is already well into middle age. So the wizard is old and has seemingly been operating under an entirely privately funded laboratory. Who knows what magic he has uncovered over his lifetime. Tagrin felt his excitement bubble. Every time he felt like this, the giddiness would be short-lived. Every time the bubbles in his stomach would turn into shortness of breath, and he would remember the bubbles that surrounded him as he nearly drowned that fateful night just over a year ago. Excitement, pain, and then determination. It was always the same order of events. He would grow giddy, then remember how helpless he felt. Then he would remember his resolve. For this is what kept him on his quest for knowledge. With this calm resolve, he commanded himself to proceed with the confidence he had taught Ronus and Dreadfire to believe was his true nature. And with this confidence, he led the two paladins and human cleric to the gates of the castle. The gates of Castle Nuvagar were open this time of day, allowing for the passage of ambassadors, crownsguards, and dilettantes to roam the castle yard and garden. That did not mean, however, that the gates laid open for anyone and everyone. Two guards dressed in the bright orange color of the Gen House stood opposite each other on either side of the gate. They immediately took notice of the oddly diverse-looking party of four who still wore the visible wear and tear from the recent battle. State your business, vagabonds. The guards wasted no time and did not hide their distrust of outsiders. We come bearing news better not spoken within earshot of civilians. We have information of great import and interest to Archduke Basque. We require an audience with him and his court mage. Tagrin followed the lead of the guards and skipped all formal pleasantries he had planned to utter. He felt he was close to convincing them, but he thought he might seal the deal. You may have heard what happened in the Lost Dwarven Forge a score of span ago. The guard thought out loud. I have heard the tale. A dragonborn tiefling and a couple elves discovered it, killing the monsters that lurked within, along with the mage kingpin. I'm afraid we have had a change of personnel since then. He pointed at the new human that joined their group less than an hour ago. Tagrin knew he had to be careful flaunting his conquests. He was supposed to be dead, after all. Granted, the venomous archmage Aizen and his pupil Eagleth Van Dredd were across a breath of ocean on the isolated Silver Islands off the coast. But still, if he were to ever garner their attention, he could be sure that Aizen would send Eagleth to finish the job. Regardless, he did feel a semblance of pride imbue his voice as he spoke of the last adventure he survived with his compatriots Ronus and Dreadfire. And he knew that common folk were responsive to stories of heroism against odds. So he took the gamble. Right, of course you are. The gamble did not appear to pay off as the guard clearly dismissed the wild claim. I am Dreadfire and this is Ronus. 
We taught swordplay to some of the newest castle recruits. Dreadfire spoke matter-of-factly as he always did, swooping in to save Tagrin, who seemed to learn how to socialize as he did everything else. Out of a book. Forgive my elf friend. He is not so equipped in the Nulvagar customs, but what he said is true. We must speak to a member of the royal court or a representative of the Swords of Unity at once. The guard instantly regarded the dragonborn. Oh, Dreadfire, it is a pleasure to make your acquaintance. This quarter we have acquired some of the greatest and most skilled new recruits, and I believe we owe that to you. If it is truly important, then by all means. Though the guard did not directly study under Dreadfire, Tagrin noticed that he seemed to address the Dragonborn much as a student would respect a master. The guard gestured for the party to proceed into the yard. The yard was lush and beautiful, with a bed of smooth marble beads laying a straight and wide path through to the castle entrance. The modest keep was a mostly stone and singularly symmetrical building. It was almost as though the building was designed around the enormous wooden and steel double doors that commanded the middle of this riverside wall. The doors stood thirty feet tall, arching at the top into a point that was only forty more feet or so from the castle's crenellations. On either side of the massive doors were three hundred meters of stone walls that each ended in a rounded tower topped with turrets manned by a few visible archers. Two more crowns guards stood by the door, one on either side. They were looking past the party as Dreadfire led the pace towards the castle. The guards looked over and across the yard to the other guards who were nodding and waving to open the doors for the four men. The doors opened to an impressive main hall. Many armed men, most in the same bright orange colors, were scattered around and could be seen making conversation, playing cards, and sharpening their blades. Most looked less than busy. The seventy-foot-high vaulted ceilings were covered in unfinished murals depicting giant heads and clouds and fire-breathing dragons snapping and snarling. To the far side were the faded images of what looked like two men on a hill overlooking a river exchanging a moment. One wore a decorative dragon headpiece in robe, his arms outstretched, perhaps basking in his own glory. The other wore chainmail and held his knight's helmet under his right arm. He kneeled in a formal bow, and behind his back, with his left hand, he held a golden knife. The hall shared the symmetrical nature of the building. It was bisected by a stairway that fanned down into the space and branched off upwards, expanding both left and right to the second level that overlooked the ballroom. It was here at the base of the stairs where Tagrin noticed a woman in more decorated armor than the rest that held the emblem of the Swords of Unity, large and clear on her breastplate. Tagrin knew that they were in good standing with the Swords of Unity and believed that she might be important enough to assist them. Fair knight, he called to her as he approached. We are friends of the Swords of Unity and hope to call upon your honor. When she turned to meet the eyes of the man responsible for calling her attention, Tagrin found himself stunned. Her black hair fell at her shoulders, swinging softly in the motion of her turning head and Tagrin could not believe how beautiful she was. He especially could not believe that a human could be so beautiful and so highly ranked. He could see now, as he averted his eyes to anything but her brilliant gaze, he could see that her sword was jeweled with the obsidian eye that marked the rank of Seeker. My honor is a stone unmoved by calling. It is the force that guides my will. Was she flirting with me? He wondered. And now he was even more stunned. His throat felt colder than when the wizard from the cave blasted him with the cone of cold. Luckily for him, Dreadfire had no mind for subtlety or whatever this was. Sir Lady, we are friends of the Swords of Unity. We help secure Hildist for one of your shields, Grieg. 
I see. I remember hearing there were two elves. Seems you're missing your ranger. Aye. She reconsidered her priorities after she nearly lost her life in the cave. But we have a human now. Every good adventuring party has a human. Dreadfire put his hand on the quiet carrot's shoulder. In fact, this man is actually who saved us. <clears throat> I had that beast. He stole my kill. Ronus seemed insulted by Dreadfire's choice of words. Well, in any case, Dreadfire continued, the human came up with the blow that finished the beast. We were attacked by... Oh, I see. You were the ones who were responsible for the disturbance in Papa's quadrant this afternoon. Ahi interrupted with a glint of humor in her words. We surely can take credit of ending the creature's havoc. What I heard is that it was a maid that started the fire. She looked over at Tagarin. This brought Tagarin back to his senses. It is easy to ignore her beauty when she speaks unfairly about him, he thought. I was saving Dreadfire from the beating he was getting from that creature. I had to use something dramatic. He gestured at Dreadfire's eviscerated armor and scales. So, if the beast is dead and you have not come to pay damages on the muddy brisket, what is it you hope my honor can do for you? Ahi elegantly put the conversation back on track. The beast has been defeated. Tagrin continued, not needing Dreadfire's help any longer. But we have reason to believe it may not be dead so far as the term undead suggests. The creature was undead? Inside the city? I am afraid I sensed a great deal of necrotic energy and, well, the creature looked like a fucking zombie. Zombies stayed down in my experience. We believe it may be what is known as a revenant. What is that? Ahi seemed unaware of the name. That we are not wholly certain of. We were hoping to speak with the Archduke and his court mage Skalmas to help prepare the city in the event it returns. It appeared that this gorgeous knight was coming around and heeding their words. I see. In that case, I'll call for them. Tagrin watched as the beautiful seeker walked with the light steps of an experienced swordsman up the stairs and to the right before disappearing into the hallway that cut deeper into the right side of the castle. She was back down the stairs before Tagrin could formulate a proper plan on how to navigate their pitch with these powerful men they were going to shortly meet. She still had three more steps before the floor when she spoke. I'm truly sorry. You will have to wait a moment. Besk is a good king to his people. He is constantly in meetings with advisors and has been specially drowning himself in his work as of late. The Swords of Unity have imposed increased taxation on Nulvagar. I believe it is their way of slowly bringing the ancient city into the fold of the Confederacy. The knight leaned in before continuing and spoke so only the four who addressed her could hear. As an agent of the swords myself, I found it surprising to see that I believe this city should remain under the rule of its king as it has been for a thousand years. I suppose I've been wooed by the dedication of this man even as he deals with his recent loss. Feel free to wait anywhere. She spread her hands out at the massive main room. It will likely be a while. Right. Thank you, my lady. Ahi. Ahi Vajou. Right. Thank you, Sir Ahivajou. Tagrin gave an unpractised bow. I am Tagrin. I know. She smiled. You are just as Grieg described. Cunning and handsome? Clever but naive, she corrected. At first, Tagrin was glad to have time with Dreadfire, Ronus, and Carrot to formulate how best to commune with the Archduke and his court mage. But ultimately... Tagrin found himself losing to his boredom. Since he left Silvera, he rarely gave himself chances to think for himself. Whenever he had time, he forced himself into books and study so that his mission could occupy his mind and he could leave no room for the torment that he knew would ravish him. 
But here, sitting quietly with the least talkative bunch, two battle-hardened paladins and a less-than-intelligent human, he could not stave off the visions. Eagleith Van Dread. The proud silver elf kneeled helplessly before him. All he had to do was finish him. Why didn't he finish him? He was my best friend. Tagrin tried to justify it to himself. No, he wasn't. Best friends don't fight each other. They don't fight to the death even if their master asks them to do it. They don't... They don't kill each other's sisters. They don't... I don't. I wouldn't. But in not doing so, he proved we weren't friends. He did, and because of that, I know I should have. Why didn't I? She'd be alive if I had. If only I had the courage. As his demons thrashed him from within, the time passed, and he was eventually freed from the hell that his stifled emotions had created. Ahi descended the stairs once more, this time accompanied by a decrepit old man in tattered and faded violet robes, walking in concert with a middle-aged man, groomed and handsome, with fine white velvet pants and an orange blouse and vest that cost more than a fine house and carriage. All of the soldiers that meandered within this large ballroom quickly turned to kneel before the trio. The man in orange raised his hands with his palms held up and open, and everyone returned to their taskless states, but less casual in nature than before. Ahi held her hands out, one down the stairs to Tagrin and the rest of the group, and the other up towards the men that accompanied her. Tagrin and friends... It is my great privilege, as a seeker of the Swords of Unity, to introduce you to Archduke Basque Jen of Nuvagar. <laughs> 